welcome to MSP 1337. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, a show dedicated to cybersecurity challenges, solutions, a journey together, not alone. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of MSP 1337. For those of you listening, I am actually visible on some cameras, but I am wearing a coat this morning because my heating doesn't work and it is 33 degrees. So we're going to talk about not the weather. Uh, this week I have Brian Doyle from VCIO Toolbox. Welcome, Brian. Hey, Chris. Great to be here. And I, I feel for you right now, man, because you know I'm up here in the Northeast where it should be 33 degrees right now. We're battling with the other side, turning off the heat because it's 72 as we record this. This is just not <laughs> like like like. Can we just get a happy medium? Like if if in in a given week our temperature fluctuation could stay below 20 degrees and be on the plus side of 50. I'd be really happy, right? Like 72 degrees, no one complains about 72. If it's 90, everybody complains about the temperature. Even those that are like, oh, I love it when it's hot. And then they're like, hey, can you go check the, the thermostat? It's getting kind of warm in here. It's like, yeah, it's set to 68 degrees. What's the problem? Well, it's definitely been a weird oh, year weather-wise. There's no indeed, doubt. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so as we were getting ready to record and I couldn't hit the record button fast enough. One of the things that um, is always at the front of my mind is how, how do we provide, you know, having been an MSP, how do we provide good leadership to both our staff and our clients? And I don't mean you have to be an owner in your business to be a leader for the staff that you work with, but to be a leader in the context of this uh, podcast revolving heavily around cybersecurity and you run VCIO Toolbox, and you and I have been uh, largely in touch with each other for the past, man, almost since the beginning of, of the product. And while everybody knows listening to this show that this isn't a show about products and vendors, you made a transition recently <clears throat> to expand the, the product offering to go from VCIO to, and I don't want to put names on this, but to sort of go to the CISO route or cybersecurity leadership direction. And and, and you and I, right before I hit the record button, it was, and, and I want to say this, I'll say, someone said, because <laughs> that naming of CIO was becoming cheapened, we were losing sight of why those names exist. And we were basically taking the term account management and putting these buzzwords with them to almost give them more value and more meaning. And, and quite honestly, we did the exact opposite to the point that anybody that's a solution provider listening to this knows full well that when you go in and sit down with your client to talk about the things they need to add, remove, replace, however you want to phrase it, they immediately associate with the next things out of your mouth is how much is this going to cost me? And why are we talking about this now? And, oh, I thought we were already paying for that. It was included in the all I can eat model. Help me, Brian, transition to your thought process of you, you knew that you needed to expand. And it wasn't just like because you wanted to capture a new market segment. It was tied to something. And, and I'll let you explain it because I know yeah, I'm hitting so, on hot buttons. Look, it, definitely going to keep away from making this a commercial. So please, uh, for anybody that feels it's going to be that please way. Please sign up today for BCIO Toolbox. <laughs> just saying, okay, all right. Got no, that but really, really where I was going with this, when we set out to do BCIO Toolbox, it was really coming from a mission that... 
we saw that leadership was not being covered enough by the MSPs. Just so in general. Yeah, it, just in general, right? So the early, earliest entry into the market, obviously the QBR was easy because MSPs at the time, you know, we started launching this product in 2019, give or take. When, when MSPs were coming in there, they were really focused on the QBR process, but more just getting re-engaged with their clients. And it goes back to something that I've unfortunately seen as a trend in the MSP space, which and take it the way you want to here, guys out there listening, but you know, the cheapening of the VCIO role. Cheapening. It, yes. When it first started out, it was meant to be a little bit of a leadership role. But I think some people experienced where it got a little too techy for our customers. And we shifted it to account management. And I'm not saying that's a spot that it shouldn't be, but not all account managers are created equal, right, Chris? You've got really good account managers who have been in the industry who understand the business side of life. And, and understands what the small business customer needs are. Then there's another set of account managers, which tend to be salespeople that were good people, could manage a customer relationship, but couldn't sell. So they were put in positions where they, they could have a little bit more authority. But the challenge is, is what is the definition of the role? And I have MSPs come to me all the time going, well, who should be the MSP? And I simply say this, those that can, that can command a room, that can drive, you know, conversation with business people and not be intimidated by those business people and are not just trying to sell as the frontline tactic of their QBR, let's say, right? Now, what does this all mean? Simply put, when, when we built out VCIO Toolbox, it started with that QBR, but we were looking towards where the next generation of MSPs were going to go. And certainly the evolution of MSSPs was driving. Can I just hear a, a buzzword, well. next, next gen MSP? Uh, next gen is, is that, does, no that does that come with like like some behavior type analytics and and it checks in with a server somewhere and we know well, something need... like that <laughs> I'll, I'll actually give you a simple definition of what that is okay it's simply an msp that's evolved past getting their service delivery right right because you know as we're all starting as okay. msps number one thing we have to do is work on our deliverable we have to get our you know our standard operating procedures around delivery and servicing there and now we start building our account teams and start looking at how to reduce any attrition we might be having. And that's really where, you know, the next generation MSP is saying, well, what can I do to do that? Especially since I'm not fixing stuff anymore. So, well, that's a whole, we could do a whole series on, uh, I don't swap out hard drives anymore. What do I do with my downtime? Nope. Uh, but if we rewind for a second, I want to unpack a little bit more the account management role, because I think, yeah. I think, almost all industries, all verticals have some sort of role that involves account management. We see it in the medical space where someone's reaching out on the billing team, letting me know that, hey, my account needs to be paid and I haven't done it. But then you've got what we've seen largely in the solution provider space is an account manager is not just responsible for like checking in with clients. They're responsible for sales and, and becoming a technology expert and, and all kinds of different things. So part of me says, if I think about account management for what it should be, it's someone who is checking in with the pulse of the client. They're not the sales rep. They're responsible for, hey, are, are you happy? Uh, how are things going? Is there anything that we need to be aware of that's coming up like an office move or or maybe you, you've decided to grow the business, but, it, but it's not a, I'm a technology expert and I've got to figure out what server needs to go in your environment or what cloud services you need to buy. And I, I feel like, and they're not in sales by all, like they yeah. might say, hey, something's up for renewal, just FYI, I'm going to send over the invoice, not a quote, 
they're not providing that uh, guidance and, and oversight largely. Like, and, and I'm not saying that you can't blur these lines. I'm just saying like, if I try to understand account management by itself, then we can make, oh, well, that's not necessarily a, uh, a high level role within your organization getting paid, you know, six figures to go out and close more business. They're the ones making sure that you can keep going out and closing more business. Yeah. Is that, is that fair? Because I feel like we we've just done a terrible job of, of naming convention across the board to your point. Well, of it, it, it's fair. And even throw a little bit more confusion into it. Part of what you described there, many MSPs are now starting to create a new role for called customer success manager, right. Or the customer success person who they're the ones that are actually staying engaged with yeah. the client to just see how they're doing and doing those touch bases. We had, you, we had one even, I'll even give you one up the idea. So QBR, like we can't yeah. have it called that anymore because that's business review, which is associated with money. Yeah. We're going to call it a QSR quarterly service review. Like, are you happy with the services? So again, largely these are self-inflicted wounds on something that no one else is actually even throwing uh, you know, the, the weapons of, of destruction at you, but you're choosing to believe that they exist solely on the merit of, I think this is why we're not doing well in this area. There's, and there's no data support it. Right. And, you know, when you talk about the account manager role, I'll kind of come at it from this perspective. What should the account manager role be slash VCIO role be, right? It really comes down to is us looking from a different lens and saying, what is it that the customer wants, right? A lot of people are going into these events trying to demonstrate value by showing, here's all the things we did for that money you pay every month, and this is why you should care. But at the end of the day, the business owner after one or two meetings like that doesn't care anymore because what they're really concerned about is what's in it for me? How am I going to make my business better? So if I was looking at who to bring in as account manager, it's got to be somebody that's in tune with the voice of the customer and is thinking about things and being an advocate back to his company or her company on the concepts of, hey, this is what the customer wants. How do we help them get there? Right. The uh, see the outcome rather than the path or even the tools and services that might require or enable us to get there. Tools and services are always just part of the deliverable. Right. And, and you know, when I see the, you know, out on the web, everybody's worried about the next greatest tool on anything. It's more of a build your process get that set in stone and then expand on that process. And then ultimately you'll figure out if a tool is going to support what you're trying to do or not, right? But at the end of the day, it comes back to what you were just saying. What's the outcome I'm trying to present to my customer? And how am I elevating my perception too? There's a lot of MSPs in the marketplace today that are still sitting at that operational layer. When you, know, when you sit there, Chris, and you're talking about, hey, I don't have hard drives to fix anymore. That's when you know you're stuck in that commodity layer that we all say we don't want to be a part of, right? So how do we elevate out of that layer? Well, let's demonstrate some leadership to go with it. We already know that seat's vacant in the majority of the customers we serve. You know, take away our co-managed and some of that yeah. world. So now say to yourself, how do we present a unified front? And it isn't necessarily just one individual that's coming in and showing this company, hey, this is where we can support you from day to day. And then this is how we're going to come in and support you and really try to understand where are you trying to take your business? What are the obstacles in the way of that success? And how are we going to make sure that your roadmap's addressing those issues so you're spending money sure. wisely? Yeah, I think one of the things that I've noticed is, and, and this was, I think, present 
going back in time to when I was running my my MSP, and that is it's it's risky to have conversations and work with your peers because there's two two big factors. One, will they provide the same quality of the, uh, in my case, the Untangled Solutions experience? Pick the MSP, your MSP, and fill in the blank with whatever your mission statement was and the care you wanted to provide. And then there was the second one. And that one was probably even more worrisome than the first one. And that is, are they going to poach my client? And I think what's interesting today that really didn't exist five, six, 10 years ago was this more siloed types of service being offered. Uh, I remember going to a DattoCon uh, years back when when they were really making the splash on, on elevating the the, the backup and, and restoring the cloud solution stack. And I, I was having drinks with one of the MSPs and MSP was in, in this particular case was a very uh, broad use of the word MSP, but it was also a very specific use of the word managed services provider. It just so happened that their services list was a list of one. They provided backup business continuity services and that's all they did. And it struck me completely by surprise that you could have an MSP that does just one thing. Fast forward and largely MSSPs and and uh, you know your VoIP providers and some of these other types of businesses are very very siloed and we 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 saw this like oh well they're going to come into my space we saw it with the copier industry and the and the reality is it is difficult today to do very many things in our current threat landscape well like we could years ago to your point of yes. All of the MSPs I'm competing with can swap out hard drives. They all have a, you know, the zero zero Phillips screwdriver, right? They all have the torque screws, whatever it is. But fast forward, we don't all have expertise on five different firewall platforms or EDR solutions, but we still know how to talk to the client and understand in theory what their business needs are to bring in the right resources. And I think MSPs that are going to continue to be MSPs have got to figure out how to partner with some of those other solution providers to stay relevant so that they can start providing, to your point, more of that thought leadership, which, you know, to the buzzwords and all of that, I don't care if you call it CISO or CIO or account manager or cyber leadership or security officer, we'll come up with some buzzword no one's ever heard, and then that'll make the hashtag news. But is so so talk to me about your sort of transition into what we'll refer to as sort of cyber leadership because it wasn't because you wanted to get into the cybersecurity space. Well, we had always had a vision of being an advisory platform, right? Which is really how do we stay engaged with our customer on things that are relevant in the industry? How do we produce the information that they require to support that? The VC so part came out of what's happening in the industry today, right? So, you know, we we kind of tested the waters with some templates. Our customers were definitely very interested in that. And then we said to ourselves, well, how do we broaden this? And one of the things that people are obviously struggling with is how do I approach and really build a cybersecurity plan for my customer? And the challenge you have is most MSPs, your customer already thinks you're doing it, right? They, They think that's part of the contract. So all inclusive hard drive replacement is in fact cyber leadership. Right. So we have this new challenge, Chris, right? Where not only do we have to go out and show our customers that there's new and emerging threats coming at them faster than they expected, that even if they're 
not a targeted threat. They have to be worried about non-targeted attacks. And we have to do it in a way that's not going to eat us out of house and home as well, sure. right? So where I'm seeing a lot of the leading MSPs kind of making that transition is bringing in kind of a compliance as a service layer. You know, you can call it the VC so as a service layer, but really working with their customer and maybe choosing one of the standard cyber frameworks as a starting point, CIS, NIST, CSF, you know, CMMC to a degree. And really just starting with working with the customer on let's improve our cybersecurity posture and understand where the gaps are. And some of those gaps aren't going to belong to the MSP either. And that's where the leadership comes in, helping guide the customer to where they can help themselves. Yeah. They have to define the policies they want to implement for their business. An MSP or a, a VC so can help guide them to what the kind of the core of that policy might be. But then the company's got to make it you know, adapt and work in a way that actually supports their business, the way they deliver their services. Other things that, you know, I see with the, with this yearn from, and the, the problem is the customer only knows what they know and they don't know what they don't know. Right. We all say that all the time. I, I only yeah, know what I know. It's very confusing because I, I would argue that I'm not always right, but I'm never wrong. Yeah. Well, that's one way to look at it. Right. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, all kidding aside, you know, you talk to a customer who isn't an IT pro, might only have limited tech savvy, you know, sure. as part of their makeup, and they only know what they know, and they don't know what they don't know. So if we're not out there educating them to what they don't know, but more importantly, why they care, right? That's the part that's missing today, I think, in a lot of those conversations, because where we skip to is, here's the problem you're facing, Mr. Customer, and here's the technology I'm going to give you to solve this, and please write me a check for another $150 a month to support that, right? And we're still living inside a box, right? We didn't look at why, why does this problem exist as much as we did, how do we fix the problem? Or do we care about this problem more than the customer does? And that's a reality sometimes too. Well, isn't and, that kind of largely the reality we're facing in cybersecurity is do I have the same concerns that my clients do as it pertains to their risk appetite, risk tolerance, as we look at navigating with tools, services, people, et cetera, to address those things? I, I mean, you, you said something that I think is a really a, a good transition and shifting point when you when you said it, and I, I want to make sure that the audience hears this. You said advisory services. I don't know very many solution providers that if you went to their website, anywhere on their website, it says something like advisory services. Uh, I'm not even sure that advisory services is a client facing uh, buzzword. It's maybe more of an internal, like, how do we, yep. how do we interpret what it is that we're providing? But I think it lends itself. And, and I've seen this over and over again. And, and I may have said this to you before uh, when I was consulting with a, a previous uh, MSSP, one of the things that I learned early on is a lot of the clientele that were coming on board, were looking for guidance they weren't necessarily looking for the, the line card or something in our services stack. They were just looking for someone to give them some direction. And I think you're going to see this. It's more common in mid-market and, and more co-managed IT situations. Yep. But it is quickly shifting to the SMB space where it's like, hey, we've been running just fine for however long. Or we've got an internal IT guy. And for the eight of us, it's enough. But we need help with. And what I've discovered is if you cater to that ask, 
with a single focus of addressing what they're asking you to do, you will get other business from it, period. It might not happen in 30 days or six months, but about 12 to 18 months, your conversations with those clients will start to change. And it might not even necessarily be that they're coming to you for those additional services, which is okay. Cause you know, that's just, just let that, Never let it ride. Cause they will, they will continue to ask you for the other stuff, which means at some point in time, you're either getting business from the person that they did hire, or they're recommending other clients that you have that had, don't have your services yet. And, and again, it's not the tip of the spear. It is a line of business advisory services have got to stop being all oh, it's included in your MSA with all you can eat and all included. And my area of expertise isn't important enough to separate it out from the all you can eat model of just help yourself to the buffet table. No, I, I mean, look, if you're an MSP and you're not thinking about how you can monetize this information that you hold, you're, you're missing a huge opportunity because I can point you to a number of MSPs that are doing so. And the way they're doing so, Chris, is, is simply taking a step back from the process too, okay? You know, it's the old adage, you got to take a step back before moving forward. And the way they're taking a step back is they're having a different conversation with their clients. And let's be clear on what's driving this need too. Increasing pressure from the cyber liability insurers to make sure that the companies that they're undertaking are actually doing what these, you know, these they're uh, collapsing interviews the say. Yeah. And the and the ownership is starting to see those costs, you know, that your customers are starting to see those costs increase or become more difficult to get. And they want to understand the why. The other thing is nobody's going to be 100% locked down. We know all the variety of reasons for it, but we're trying to guide them to where the biggest impact's going to be. So when we're in that conversation of risk, it's really looking at a customer and starting with an overall risk profile and saying, where does our risk live today? You know, good and bad risk, because it sure. does live on both sides. And what are we going to do about it? And in many cases, your customer just also needs to articulate what they're willing to accept. Hey, that risk is small enough in terms of when it might happen and costs more than we want to spend to fix it. So we're going to accept that risk. Yeah. And now if we accept that risk, we know that it's an overall vulnerability. Maybe that risk gets addressed further down the line, but sure. we need to do it. The other thing is, I think the, the concept of ransomware, right? You know, the other thing driving the need for more cyber leadership is, you know, the of concept of ransomware was always felt to be a big company problem and all that. But I think more and more MSPs are, I mean, excuse me, more and more end users are starting to see people on their block that have been hit, if you will. And, yeah. and again, if you look at CIS implementation group one, as an example, they dictate, this is, this is the level of compliance that you should be looking at. If you're a small company under 250 people who do not have IT staff or security staff on site and are generally at risk of non-targeted attacks, right? Right. So really it's just, Hey, if you got a whole, if you left the front door a little bit open and we happen to have a bot that scans that it's open, well, we may do something with that port, right? And that I think most business owners can identify with that. They go, oh, okay, it's a numbers game, and my number might come up, but you know, the risk of my number coming up might be 25%. Let's just use sure. a number like that. So I'm gonna look at what you're putting in front of me as a security plan, if you're doing that. And I'm going to adopt this 80% of it, but I'm going to leave this 20% out there because I think I can survive that even if the risk happens without having to take next steps. I think that's a tough conversation to have, right? And I think one of the things within that is as solution providers, when we say we fixed something, 
that means there's not a there's not a reopen on that ticket. When we yeah. say that there's a an issue with a laptop and we've replaced the hard drive twice, the third time we're probably replacing the laptop so that we're not dealing with this anymore. We don't treat risk that way. We treat risk the same way, or, or sorry, we try to treat risk the same way in in essentially saying uh, by putting this firewall fill in the blank product service that just came to my head that this eliminates said risk rather than worrying about what level of reduction of risk am I comfortable with? Because yes, some risks you can completely remediate down to zero. That is possible. That That is definitely a thing that you can do, but at what cost? To your point, like instead of having the conversation with the client that says, Hey, we're going to do these 19 things, these 20 things, and it's going to bring your co- or your risk down to zero, odds are they're not able to operate in business anymore because no one can come through the front door. It's locked, even though it says open. No one can get to their email because they can only be in one geolocation and it's defined by the coffee shop or the office building. You can't get to it from anywhere else. We have to think about that stuff when we're making recommendations to understand that when they come back and say, to your point, Uh, I'm good with 80% of this, but not 100%. Are we good with writing the scope in such a way that we're doing that exact thing? Because I look at the old way of thinking of the bronze, silver, and gold models, right? What level of response do you want from me when something's not working, right? You can't print and you have the gold package. We rolled truck at two o'clock in the morning so you could print your, your, your whatever, raffle tickets or whatever, That being said, we know we don't operate in that world anymore, but largely the services we do offer now, while I don't like using the bronze, silver, gold model, it still is like, you know, fundamental security or foundational. And maybe you make sure that all your clients have that. And then that next tier is some level above that. And you don't recommend that to all clients. You recommend that to the clients that desperately need something above that because their risk profile, their exposure is far more significant than your other clients. Are you having that conversation with your clients? Like, hey, I didn't propose this to these other eight clients that we have. Here's why. Because what a lot of clients think is that you're proposing and selling the same thing to every one of your clients. And, and they do think that, right? Because right. we spent so many years talking about it's psychological standard, standardization, absolutely and moving you towards that. And, and you know, we used to even have discussions with our customers about, hey, we're trying to move you to a standard platform because we can reduce your cost of uh, of support because we're reducing our cost of, you know, we're we're really good at HP, and if we keep doing HP, we can sure. reduce that cost and pass it to you, right? And that was a big part of the MSP sale for many, many years. But now we got to come at it a different way. And, and the thing is, there's two things we got to overcome. Customers are wary now of the conversations around fear, uncertainty, and doubt. They've been listening to it for too long, yeah. time, long a time. So if you're going to go in there with a cybersecurity story that's just about fear, they're going to probably have their antenna up and, and deflect on it. Second thing is we also have the next level of leadership coming in. A lot of the folks holding leadership positions now are digital natives. They've been in, you know, using the tools since they were born that, you know, mine and your generation, Chris, had kind of coming into our lives as we were moving through our, our work ladder, right? So, 
you know, we got to work with those, you know, with those people who have a good understanding and they're not going to buy into the fear, uncertainty and doubt because they're aware of what that risk looks like to a degree. So, you know, when you ask kind of where we morphed into, it's more, we, we were continuing to outreach or build out a platform so you can hold those conversations with your customer about risk and then get their, you know, and then using, you know, using an assessment like CIS or, or NIST to then go, okay, here's where we sit today. Here's what we suggest you have to do. Now let's have a conversation about what's the timeline to do it. What are you going to accept as risk forever from these yeah. findings? Because yeah. it's just not going to push the needle enough for you. Will your insurance company allow you to accept that risk and know that you're not going to get a claim built there? Because as long as everybody's on the same page, the lines in the sand are drawn, right? And that's really where we're seeing a huge opportunity for the MSSP or the MSPs today is really getting that kind of infosec management process, if sure. you will, call it VCSO as a service or compliance as a service if you have to follow in the regulatory and kind of staying on this plan. You know, take the NIST data. GRC as a service comes to mind for me. I think about back in the day when you had like Aramba and a couple others and that was it. And you basically used a spreadsheet to track your POEM with risk and you scored it yourself. Now everybody that can build software that's available online or otherwise has a GRC of sorts to consume. And I think we have to be careful not to miss the boat as solution providers on you don't want to be competing with someone that is just a GRC provider because they're providing the recommendations for remediation that you should be taking care of. And let's talk, bring that to the concept that all of us have always tried to do. How do we show value? How do we protect ourselves from the curse of the great MSP, which is the more we automate, the more we do remotely, the less things break, the less we're on site. The less we're we visible, get, yeah. yeah. Yes, when we should be getting a high five for getting things under control, sometimes we're getting shown the door because it's, Ownership goes, why are we paying so Because we don't have we FOMO with guys, our clients. Do anything, right? Yeah. So, so when we talk about how to demonstrate value, it's really helping them benchmark what, what is their security profile today. Then helping them put together a plan that says, hey, over the next two or three years, this is what we should be moving to in line with what your budget can support. And this is where we're in things up front are the things that are going to bring us the biggest bang the fastest. And then let the customer make their own decisions too. Sure. Customers need to be part of this process. You know, if they want to say no to risk, how are we documenting that pass? So we have that documentation to prove should they get breached and now their insurance company wants to come after the MSP that we brought that to their attention. And none of this should come for free. Well, no, and you can't do it all. I mean, yeah. let's be clear. Like, I mean, when someone comes in with the, the, the grand proposal of, here's all the things we're going to do to dial you in, protect you. And I'm sorry you had a bad experience with your previous MSP. We're here to make you feel better. It, it's not a it's not a model that says we've brought your risk to zero and things are going to be hunky-dory from here on out. No, by the way, if we aren't talking to you at least every Monday, you should consider firing us too, right? Like that's not, we have that, unfortunately, we have that mindset that we are using with our clients that says, oh, yeah, if I'm not, you know, in front of client, they forgot about me. It's like, well, maybe, but what are you doing that shows them value so that you are front of mind to them, even when you're not there? And also setting the proper tone that you can't solve every problem that they sure. have unless they are willing to meet you halfway, right? Right. In that process. I was guilty of that a lot as an MSP when I was younger too, where I was like, look, customers got a problem. 
you know, I'd hear from my partner, oh, it's outside our scope. Yeah, but if we can solve it, look at what that's going to do for us, right? Blah, blah, yes. blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it, it's one of those kind of things now that we got to really get engaged with them and try to guide them and shepherd them into where they need to be on the cybersecurity side, but also working with them, understanding you, you know, their business drivers. Right. Hey, you know, if they're a CMMC machine house and they got to buy all new machines this year, I'm probably not going to get as much money that I need to in my cyber budget. So how can I work with them to help them close as much of the gap that they can with the resources that are available to them? Right. And, and really head down that road. It goes to the, you know, it's the same way in terms of, you know, what we have to respond if we're regulatory bound. One of the most amazing stats I saw was that the NIST 800-171, it was over 75% of submitting vendors said they were at 100% wow. of meeting the 800-171 standard. So 100, wow. 100% of hitting about 170 standards right on the head, businesses of all sizes. And that wow. was one of the challenges that they found in, in supporting that because there were these gaps that weren't written into it. So now they're looking at, you know, the way you report those gaps and how you follow up with the body. Hey, we want to see your poem. We know sure. you're not at 100%. And then we want to see your poem, which you're defining how long it's going to extend. But whatever you say you're going to do in that poem, you're actually doing it at those intervals that you say that you're going to, right? You're showing demonstrated progress. You're not being egregious in leaving the door, you know, the barn door open. Well, it's funny you say that. So I've been I've been working on the upcoming uh, refresh or reboot to the CompTIA Trustmark. And so we've been looking at different frameworks, different guidance from different government agencies and just kind of, you know, how, how do we make this, you know, the best that it can be in. One of the things that I was reading and I, I was thinking this came from, I wanted to say this came from uh, NCSC and they were talking about like purpose, scope and applicability of, of doing the assessment. And the thing that struck me that was really interesting is, you know, what it is and what it is not. And so like purpose, it was, a, it's intended to help inform and make expert judgment on the state of the environment, like the current posture at the mm -hmm. time. And, and then it says what it is not a checklist to be used in an inflexible assessment process. And it kind of goes through this, like the last one is the applicability, which is kind of interesting, designed to be a widely applicable across different organizations, but applicability needs to be established. We all can relate to that. But then this is the, my favorite part of what it is not, guaranteed to apply verbatim to all organizations. We do this to ourselves as solution providers, like, well, if these five clients have it, they all have to have it. That doesn't make any sense. We've got to do a better job of elevating that, to your point, with advisory services, looking at the outcomes of what the clients actually need, allow us to enable them to make decisions that we have no business making on their behalf so that they do get the 80% and accept the 20 or whatever the percentage is when it comes yeah. to risk. We all end up with a better posture, I think, when we look at it through that lens. We are running out of time. Brian, what is sort of the one thing that you want to leave behind with the audience? This has been a great conversation. I think the gist of this is you need to be providing advisory services to your clients and to your own staff to make better decisions as it pertains to outcomes. And please, please, please make sure you're creating some sort of budgeting. This should be a thing that you're charging for. This is not a free service. You've spent too much time becoming an expert on swapping out hard drives to just leave that on the table when you're not swapping hard drives anymore. 
Yeah, I mean, my one takeaway on this is go have a conversation with your customer, understand where they feel security fits into their business and if they're feeling it as a pain point. And if they are, that's where an MSP can have the conversation and say, look, we can do more. But the right. way we can do more is together and there's a process to do more. And, you know, and it's a joint process. We can't do it for you, right? right? And that's where we get into what you were saying with all these assessments and the flexible and inflexible components of it. This is where we can then work together to say what's right for you. You know, to, I used to always say two accounting firms of the same size that look exactly like 10 people, one primary account or something like that can be totally different based on sure. how ownership feels about risk and security, right? Yep. One could be like, I want to do everything I can to protect my customers, data, And the other one's like, hey, if something happens, I'll get new customers, right? That's right. So we got to look, you know, we got to get in our customers' heads and try to understand, you know, what do they want from their security program and then build one and tailor it to them. It reminds me of the DIY model. So the in, in, the, in this context, it's uh, you can do it yourself. You can do it with us together. We can do this yeah. together, or you can, you know, we can do it for you. If we do it for you, it is a significant increase in cost. If we do it together, there might not be a difference in cost that you're paying to us because some of these things don't necessarily have to cost more money. Uh, it's just, we're not giving away our knowledge anymore. That's important that we're not giving that away. Then the third one is they can do it themselves and they can determine whether or not that cost is something yeah. that they want to take on. And when we do it together, everybody knows who owns what risk. And now we can articulate back to the people we need to articulate back Absolutely. to our insurers and be able to say, look, this is the accepted risk that we're taking on from those customers. As always, Brian. This has been a great conversation. For those of you listening, thanks and have a great week.